I am not accustomed to presidents uttering profound spiritual truths, but our 30th president, Calvin Coolidge, did that very thing. Coolidge was a very devout Christian. In fact, he was actually named after John Calvin. And one time he said this, it is only when people begin to worship that they begin to grow. It is only when people begin to worship that they begin to grow. And there are two implications from what uh, President Coolidge said. Number one, worship changes us. If it doesn't, we have not actually worshipped. It must lead to growth. One pastor has said, if we don't grow as a result of worship, it is only sentimentality disguised as worship. And I think that's so true. If worship does not lead us to change and to grow, what we have done in church or even in our private lives is nothing more than sentimentality because worship must lead to growth. The second implication of Coolidge's statement is this, we become like who we worship. We imitate whoever has the focus of our attention. Uh, One of the figures in American history who was not a Christian but he was a keen observer was Ralph Waldo Emerson. And I want you to listen to what he said because it is so absolutely true. He said that which dominates our imagination and our thoughts will determine our life and character. Therefore, it is essential for us to be careful what we are worshiping, for what we are worshiping we are becoming. And that is absolutely true. And that is why worshiping God is so critical. In fact, Pastor John MacArthur calls worship the ultimate priority. Now this morning, I want us to come back to Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham's arrival in the land of Canaan. And I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Abraham at Worship, because as we look at uh, the last verses of this section in Genesis, we see some very, very important truths about what worship is and what worship is designed to do in our lives. And so I want you to take your Bibles again and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, and let's pick up the the narrative at verse 6, as Abraham arrives after this long journey in the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev, all the way to the end of the promised land. Now, I want to do two things in the message today. First of all, I want to ask, what is worship? And then secondly, I want to say, what are the actions of a true worshiper? So let's begin with the first question. What is worship? And here's my stab at it. Here's my attempt to define what worship is. This is what I would say. Worship is our active response to what God has revealed 
so that he is glorified and we are changed. Let me just say that again. Worship is our active response to what God has revealed so that he is glorified and we are changed. So worship is an action. It is a verb. God takes the initiative, we respond, he gets glory, we change. That's what worship is. Now, what are the actions of a true worshiper in light of that definition? Well, one of the best places to turn is the life of Abraham, because everywhere he went, he built an altar, as we read in the text. Altars accompanied by animal sacrifice were the normal way that people worshipped in the Old Testament. So from Abraham's building of his very first altars, we learn the actions of a true worshiper. Does that describe me this morning? Does that describe you? Are you a true worshiper? Well, here, from the life of Abraham, we learn what that is all about. So let's look at them, all right? Number one, to worship is to realize the presence of God. To worship is to realize the presence of God. Now, as we said last week in this section, this is the first appearance in Genesis of God to a patriarch. There was some visible manifestation of God here to Abraham in verse 7, before in verse 1, a voice is simply mentioned, and nothing is said about a visible appearance. But now, after Abraham arrives in the land of Canaan, God, in some visible manner, meets with Abraham, and we have to ask the question, why here? Why here? Well, the New Testament answers that question. Hebrews 11.8 gives us the answer. Let me read it for you. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Why did God appear to Abraham at this point? Because it was an extraordinary act of faith and obedience. It was as though God was saying, Abraham, I appreciate your obedience. You're where I want you to be. I'm with you, Abraham. You are not alone. Fear not. Be strong and be courageous. And Abraham was so awed and so encouraged by the presence of God that he builds an altar and he worships. Now we see that very clearly in verse 7 because verse 7 says, The Lord appeared to Abram. And then notice how it ends. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. The repetition of the appearance and the altar being built in the, me in the middle is telling us what the verse means. When Abraham realized the presence of God, he worshiped. 
Now, this tells me something very important. To worship is to be aware of God's presence. To worship is to be aware of God's presence. It is for our soul to have contact with God's soul. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you were to say to me this morning, what is worship? I would say worship is drawing near to God. Now, do you know what you need to do that? Are you ready? This is a very profound thing I'm going to say. What you need to do that is God. That's what you need. To draw near to God, you need God. Did you notice in this text, Abraham had none of the things we have today for him to worship? He had no organ, no hymnal, no piano, no drums, no guitars. He had no choir, no praise team, no sound system. No multimedia projector. He had no sanctuary. None of those things. And so we say, how in the world did he worship? He had the one essential that you need to worship. He had God. He had God. Now, all of those things that I just mentioned are tools to worship. And tools are very helpful, are they not? Of course they are. We're grateful for tools. Tools are good. But tools are a means of worship. God is the essence of worship. And the most important thing about worship is that your soul and my soul is led to encounter the living God. And if we have not encountered the living God in that way, if we have not drawn near to him, and he has drawn near to us, whatever we've done, it's not worship. Worship is to realize the presence of God. Notice the second element here that we find in the life of Abraham. To worship is to believe the promises of God. To worship is to believe the promises of God. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we are worshiping when we are affirming that we believe his promises. Now in verse 7, we have the first promise of the land of Canaan. And I want you to imagine what this promise must have been like for Abraham. He shows up in the land after a thousand-mile journey that God led to him, and it is owned by others. Now, as we heard read from Nehemiah earlier today uh, in our worship time as we were singing, all the blessings to Abraham are tied to him possessing the land, that he would have a great name that his descendants would become a great nation, that all the blessings uh, to the families of the earth would come through him, all of those are tied to possessing this land. Bible teacher John Phillips describes what it must have been like when Abraham first arrived. Listen to what he says. 
We can picture Abraham looking around the land into which he had come, seeing all the choice places in the grip of the ungodly, and saying to him, well, I didn't expect this. By the way, aren't there a lot of those in the Christian life? I didn't expect this. Aren't there a lot of those? The world beats us up. Our plans fail. We face problems with no simple solution. Maybe you are there right now where you are saying, I didn't expect this in my Christian life. Not at all. And the Lord shows up in worship with his promises and he says, trust me, I will. Trust me, I will. Do you see what's going on here? The Lord is encouraging Abraham with his promises. He is saying, don't worry, Abraham. Don't be afraid. I know that it looks bad right now, but I want you to understand what I said I will do, that indeed I will do. And Abraham builds an altar to the Lord to say to him, I believe your promises, I trust you. Brothers and sisters, that's worship. That's worship. There's a magazine called Leadership Journal. And one of its editions was devoted entirely to the subject of worship. One of the articles in the magazine was written by a man by the name of Paul Anderson, and he said this in his article, Worship helps people see God in the midst of their troubled lives. I like that. Worship helps people see God in the midst of their troubled lives. And that's why we need worship. Worship doesn't take away the trouble from our lives, but what it does is it helps us to see God and trust his promises. That's what worship is. Worship is when by the eyes of faith we see God and we declare to him, I believe your promises, I trust your promises, even though I have all this trouble in my life. By the way, that's why singing is so important, right? Because in singing we are declaring that we believe the promises of God. And to worship is to believe his promises. Now here's the third element of a true worshiper. To worship is to offer prayer and praise to God. To worship is to offer prayer and praise to God. Now I want you to notice how this is working. I hope you're seeing the sequence here. Abraham realized the presence of God. Abraham believed the promises of God. 
And then he offered prayer and praise to God. Do you see how it all fits together here when we are worshiping? The Bible says here he built an altar and very likely he offered a sacrifice on that altar as Noah had done back in Genesis chapter 6. So what was this altar and this sacrifice? Well, it was Abraham's way of saying thank you. He was giving praise, honor, and adoration to the Lord for who the Lord was and what the Lord had done for him as he now arrived in the land based upon God's call. I want you also to notice in verse 8, he called upon the Lord along with his altar, and that includes prayer. So it's very clear here. In this altar and in the sacrifice that was burnt on top of it, Abraham is offering prayer and praise to God. That is worship. Now I need to ask a question here this morning. What did Abraham do at this altar as he watched the smoke of his sacrifice rise to the Lord? What did he do? Did he raise his hands? Did he clap? Uh, Did he close his eyes? Did he sway back and forth? You know what? We're not told. He may have done all of those things. He may have done none of them. The important thing is that he prayed and and praised, not how he prayed and praised. The important thing here is not how he prayed and praised. The important thing is that he prayed and praised. Now I have two pet peeves about worship. There are two things about worship that tend to irritate me, and whether you want to hear them or not, I'm going to tell them to you this morning. All right? Here they are. Number one. Quiet people who say expressive people are too emotional. That irritates me. Because worship includes emotions, right? Worship includes the whole person. It includes the mind and the will. And when the mind and the will are engaged, the emotions are going to be touched in some way. Here's my second pet peeve. Expressive people who say quiet people aren't worshiping. Boy, that burns me up. Years ago, a man visited Bethel. Uh, It's been a number of years ago now. And after the service, he came to me and he said, after that service, your people should have been up applauding. Which proves what? Right? The presence or absence of applause does not necessarily mean people are worshiping. There's a pastor who's made a statement that I think is very memorable, and I think we all need to hear it. This is what he said, emotion without devotion is nothing more than commotion. Emotion without devotion 
is nothing more than commotion. So we can have all the emotion in the world, but if it's not accompanied by devotion to the God we claim to be worshiping, it is only commotion. And I think all of us would agree God is not interested in the least in commotion. So here's what I think we need to understand. The greatest test of worship is not whether we're up applauding, but whether we're going out obeying. The greatest test of worship is not whether we're up applauding. That's okay. That's fine. But the greatest test of worship is whether we are going out obeying. And what is important in worship is not the posture of prayer and praise, but it is the participation in prayer and praise. It is not the posture in prayer and praise that is important. What is important is the participation in prayer and praise. So what are the actions of a true worshiper? True worship is to realize the presence of God. True worship is to believe the promises of God. True worship is to offer prayer and praise to God. And now here's the last one this morning. To worship is to respond to preaching about God. To worship is to respond to preaching about God. The second time Abraham builds an altar, according to verse 8, he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, we've already mentioned that includes prayer. But it's interesting, the word call here can be translated preach or proclaim. Martin Luther in the German Bible, when he got here, translated this phrase this, this way, Abraham preached concerning the name of the Lord. Abraham preached concerning the name of the Lord. What was Abraham doing at that altar? He was preaching concerning the name of the Lord. Matthew Henry, a couple of hundred years later from Martin Luther, picked up on the same idea. Listen to what he said. He preached concerning the name of the Lord, that is, he instructed his family and neighbors in the knowledge of the true God and his holy religion. Brothers and sisters, worship doesn't end when the sermon begins. That's another pet peeve of mine, by the way. It's how easy it is for us to describe the first part of the service as worship, and then we get to the sermon, and somehow now that is not worship. But sermon, the sermon is a central part of worship. Because the sermon teaches us about the God we worship so that we can know him, love him, and obey him. Without content, without teaching, without truth, there is no worship. What did God say to his people in the Old Testament? My people die for a lack of knowledge. Peter's last words to the church are these words, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We cannot worship a God we do not know or understand about. And so worshiping is responding to preaching about God because as the word of God is declared, we learn about the God we're worshiping and then we learn to love that God and to obey him. And so worship includes responding in heartfelt obedience to the truth that is proclaimed about God. Four elements of worship in the simple actions of Abraham. To worship is to realize the presence of God for my soul, your soul, to have contact with his. To worship is to believe the promises of God and to declare that we believe them. That's why singing is so important, because we are declaring we believe God's promises. To worship is to offer prayer and praise to God. That can be done quietly as well as emotionally. Either one is fine, as long as it accompanies devotion. And to worship is to respond to preaching about God. Many of us know that Jim Elliott was one of the missionaries who was killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And when those murders took place, they spawned a worldwide passion for missions that continues to this very day. And many of us know that Jim Elliott and his widow, Elizabeth Elliott, have left a tremendous legacy to God's people. Jim Elliott left behind the journals of Jim Elliott, and they have inspired many Christians down through the years who have read Jim Elliott's commitment and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen this morning to one entry that Jim Elliott wrote in his journal. And then think about how this entry led him to become one of the well-known martyrs of our day as he reached out to people for Jesus Christ in South America. Listen to these words. To gaze and glory and give oneself again to God, what more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him, please him. That's where worship begins, and that's where worship ends. If only I may love him, please him. That's the beginning and goal of all worship. Let's bow together in the presence of the God we worship.
as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're not sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, you're missing the greatest blessing in life. And that is the opportunity to know God on earth. We exist as a church to help people come into a relationship with the living God. And if you're unsure of that in your own life, we're here to help you. If you say, Pastor, what can I do now? I, I'm unsure. I would come in your heart and in your mind to the foot of the cross. I would affirm to the Lord Jesus, you believe in his death and resurrection for your sins, that he is Lord and Savior, that you would cry out to him from the depths of your being for his saving mercy. And he has said, he that comes to me, in that way, I will no wise cast out. And then for those of us who know the Lord, worship is our active response to what God has revealed. So he is glorified and we are changed. Until people begin to worship, they do not begin to grow. And so ask yourself, am I engaged in empty sentimentality? Or am I engaged in true worship? When is the last time that I felt my soul had indeed had contact with God's soul? I knew I was in his presence. I expressed that I believe his promises. I offered prayer and praise to him. And I long to obey what his word says. Nothing else will satisfy God. Nothing else will please him. Jesus said the Father is seeking worshipers. That's what he wants from us. Lord God, today, see our hearts, see what's right in them, see what's wrong in them. Speak to us where we need to change. Encourage us where we need to be lifted up. Be the object of our adoration, our love.
May we be here today because we believe in the living God, the resurrected Jesus Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit, who speaks to us through the inerrant Word of God. And may we believe because we walk by faith, not by sight, that we have been together with the people of God in the presence of the living God. that he has spoken, we have heard, and we leave to obey. Thank you for this awesome, encouraging, challenging encounter with you For Jesus' great name's sake, amen.